Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Amy Morin. She is a psychotherapist turned accidental author. She's the author of three amazing books and a top speaker on the following topic. She wrote three books, one titled 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, and then also 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, and the same with women. We're going to talk about that book today, 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Elle. So um, to everyone listening, I, I met Amy at Lisa Bill Yu's house. We had both been on Women of Impact, and Lisa Bill Yu had a party at her house in Hollywood, and I met Amy there, and we started talking. I was like, oh, this is like my jam, because the <laughs> subtitle, The 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do, is Own Your Power, Channel Your Confidence, and Find Your Authentic Voice for a Life of Meaning and Joy. Um, before we get into some of these specific topics, tell your story about how you got into this and, and, and what happened. You, how do you accidentally <laughs> turn? Because I find that to be really amazing. Thanks. So I uh, started out as a therapist and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to teach other people what I learned in college about mental health and, and solve their problems with everything that came out of a textbook. And about a year into my work as a therapist, my mom passed away. And it was the first major loss I'd had in my life. But suddenly I was interested in mental strength on a personal level for the first time. Um, And I just want to know, okay, how do I apply what I'm teaching in my therapy office to my own life? Because I saw plenty of people who went through tough times and they sort of got reduced by it. They felt stuck. They bought into that notion that time heals everything. And they just sort of waited to feel better. And we know that that's not the way that the world works. If you sit around and wait, you might never get better. You have to actually take action. So I wanted to know what's the action that you take to actually make yourself feel better when you're going through tough times. And one of the things I learned pretty quickly on was that it wasn't about what people did. It was more about what they didn't do. Mm. People that didn't have certain bad habits could go through tough times and emerge stronger and better. And so I thought, all right, great. I'm going to work on this in my own life. And I'm glad that I did because on the three-year anniversary of the day that my mother died, my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. Obviously, at age 26, you're not supposed to have a heart attack. I wasn't supposed to be a 26-year-old widow, but that's where I found myself. And I thought, oh, now what do I do? I've got a broken heart. I don't have my mom and all these dreams and goals and everything I thought I was going to do in life are no longer an option. If I couldn't do these things with my husband, I had to figure out, do I still want to do them? We were foster parents, for example. So I had to decide, do I still want to be a single foster mom? Do I still want to live in the same house, do the same things? And fortunately by then though, I had already learned these things about what not to do just by studying people in my therapy office. So I knew as long as I don't do these certain things, I can heal my broken heart. I can go through tough times and emerge stronger. And one of the things I did after my husband passed away was I started writing as a side hustle. It wasn't as a therapeutic thing. It wasn't meant to to talk about grief or anything like that. Instead, I just wrote articles on the side so that I could stay living in my house now that I was just down to one income. And at some point during that process, um, you know, life started to get better. I was able to stay in my house and I found myself um, lucky enough to fall in love for a second time. It was years later, but it happened. And so I thought, ah, 
finally get a fresh start at life. I got remarried. Life was starting to look good. And then my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I just remember thinking this isn't like, fair. Like, come on. Yeah, come on, right? <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this again. I've lost too many people. My heart is broken. I've spent, you know, my entire 20s grieving. I don't want to do this, but it wasn't like I had a choice. So I wrote an article called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And it was really a letter to myself. I never even meant to publish it online. It was just a on a piece of paper that was going to sit in my pocket so that when I was having a bad day, I could just remember, don't do these things and you'll be okay. And I found it really helpful. So I thought, well, if it helps me, maybe it'll help somebody else. So I put it on the web and sort of walked away from my computer thinking it would be read by a few people. But 50 million people read that article. Amazing. And, right? And so before I know it, and national, international media is calling me, MTV in Finland and CNN in Mexico, and they're asking me all these questions. But nobody knew that it was supposed to be a letter to myself. They thought, you're a therapist. You've mastered these things. Nobody knew the backstory. No, I actually wrote it because I struggled with it. And so I was thrilled when a literary agent called and said, you should write a book. And in the book, I share the rest of the story that I wrote the letter as a something to myself because I needed it, not because I'd mastered those things. And so that's the long story of how I went from being a therapist to becoming an accidental author. <laughs> well, and what I really love about that, too is you did it, you were compelled to do it, you weren't doing it as a means to an end, but it's so, and that happens often, right? We'll manifest something unintentional because we're just following some passion, even if it's just a passion of writing this thing down for yourself because it meant so much. It didn't have, again, like you had no idea, and I love it when those things happen, and clearly the world needed to see that. Now, you've got these 13 things. We won't necessarily go through all of them, but I want to touch on four of them and kind of go through some of that, you know, the ins and outs here. The, 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 well, I guess let's start with the three parts of mental strength, just thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Yeah. A lot of people get sort of mental strength confused with acting tough. So you think, oh, if nothing bothers you, that means you're strong. No, that probably means you're pretending to be tough, but really things bother you. They're supposed to bother you. So when you break it down, there's three parts to mental strength, the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you behave. And so when it comes to thought, sometimes people think, well, it's just about thinking positive. Nope, that's not it either. Because if you just thought positive thoughts all the time, like, ah, I'm going to nail this interview or this test isn't going to be a problem. I'm going to ace it. Well, then you wouldn't study or then you wouldn't walk into the interview prepared. So that can be just as detrimental as negative thinking. So you want to be realistic. How do you know? Okay, what can I do to improve my chances of success? Uh, what do I do when I call myself names? How do I deal with thoughts that aren't helpful? But recognizing when your thoughts aren't productive or when recognizing when your thoughts are uh, are holding you back in some way, shape or form. The second part is the emotional part. Sometimes people think you're supposed to be happy all the time. No, you can't enjoy happiness unless you've also been sad. Yes. Thank or we you. think we think that emotions are either good or bad. Well, that's not the case either. Anger is helpful sometimes. Sadness is helpful sometimes. And it's about just knowing how do you cope with those emotions. And sometimes it's just about allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable. We spend so much time trying to avoid uncomfortable feelings that we then make ourselves miserable. It backfires on us. I see it in my own life. I've seen it in my therapy office that sometimes you just need to know, okay, I need to face these fears head on, not avoid them. Third part is about our behavior. So sometimes it's about taking positive action, even when we are in kind of feeling kind of stuck or so motivating yourself to do something when you don't feel motivated. So 
it might be going to the gym on a day when you feel kind of tired, or it might be tackling a tough project uh, when you just aren't in the mood, but knowing I'm in charge of how I behave. If I want to be a confident person, sometimes I have to act confident and then confidence comes afterward. You know this, you know about confidence. (laughs) And And, well, you know, and that's the thing too, is that I think it's interesting to highlight there. Like when I tell people, like when you're speaking up for the first time and you're a person that haven't spoken up yet, it doesn't feel good. It's not like an awesome thing, right? It's uncomfortable. It's awkward, but then you get, you get through it and you're like, oof. And then it, then it just gets better. And now, you know, people who never spoke up that I know are like, the moment it happens, they're like, uh, uh-uh, you're not gonna talk to me that way or whatever it is. And it, it, it will become like, you know, like you said, you'll become confident in the process that you've got to start somewhere, but it may not be comfortable. It may be icky at first. Exactly. And so some, cause sometimes people will be like, oh, if I could just be mentally strong enough to go back to college or to switch jobs or to become an entrepreneur, and we'll know doing those things before you feel like it sometimes is what you need to do. That's the action you need to take in order to feel confident or to feel better about yourself or to grow stronger. You have to challenge yourself. So thoughts, feelings, behavior, let's get into one of the principles, the one of the 13 things. One of the 13 things that mentally strong people don't do is they don't compare themselves to other people. Wow, do we need to hear all about this in the world of social media (laughs) and YouTube and everything else. But it was happening long before then. Let's talk about this concept. You know, it's so easy to just look around and you figure out how am I doing? Well, I don't know how I'm doing until I see how everybody else is doing. You know, for example, if you get a C on a test, you might think, oh, Is that good or is that bad? Well, if your professor said to you, actually, everybody else failed, you'd think, wow, I got this C. I'm amazing. But if your professor said to you, everybody else in the class got an A and you got a C, that was the lowest grade. Suddenly you feel bad about that C. And so we do that in life all the time. Like, oh, am I rich or am I poor? Am I successful? Am I not? Am I happy enough? Well, we look around and, and then we make these judgments based on what we see. And of course, in the age of social media, People are portraying things that aren't necessarily accurate. They try to look happier, healthier, wealthier on the internet. Studies will show envying people on social media is directly linked to depression. And that just 10 minutes. That's great to know. I'm not surprised. Right. (laughs) And just within 10 minutes of looking at social media, uh, a lot of people's mood plummets. And I'm not against social media at all. I use social media for my business, but also for my personal life. I think we just need to be aware of how it affects us. Does it cause us to think that we're not as attractive? Does it cause us to think that we're not as happy as other people? And if so, it's taking a serious toll on your mental health and your well-being. I guarantee it. Well, what about the perspective? Well, that's the perspective you're walking into it because I don't feel yucky after I'm looking at social media. And I think that's because you aren't looking at other people going, gosh, uh, these people are happier than I am. They have better lives than I do. So how do I shift that focus if I want to, you know, again, you have to participate in social media for business or something. How would you help someone shift that mindset on comparing themselves to others so that they can move through this world without that thing? So the research is clear. If you look at somebody else and think that person's better than I am, you'll feel bad. If you look at other people and you think that person has knowledge that I could benefit from, you feel good. That slight shift in how you think makes all the difference. Look at other people as opinion holders, not your competition. What about the, and I also was thinking this too, I mean, so much of the time when, you know, I I talk about envy and jealousy and, you know, I know you do too, they're, they're really just 
ugh, and talk about comparison-y themed, right? But I, sometimes, you know, I always say like, hey, if you're like envious or jealous of someone, like, great, you just recognize something you wanted. Yeah, you know, like, the, <laughs> there are so many ways to shift the perspective, right? Or, or I'm inspired and, by the woman with the fit body. And I'm like, wow, instead of like, ah, she's so much prettier than me. Those are just two different perspectives. They have a completely different, you know what I mean? So, so how do you convince someone where they're like, I just can't stop comparing myself to others, though? So then I think it becomes breaking it down in your mind. Okay, I'm comparing apples to oranges, that your journey isn't the same as anybody else's. You don't know what that person's life experiences are, what their talents are, what their skills are, what sort of things they've been through compared to what you've been through. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to remember that when you're when you're looking at at somebody else's journey, that they're probably just showing you the results, right? If you look at somebody that's super fit, you forget that they probably spent hours in the gym to get to look like that. That's a lot right. of us think I want the end result, but I don't want to do the work to get there. I don't want so the behavior. I don't want the behavior part. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you have to ask yourself or somebody that's really successful in business, you know, do I want to spend a hundred hours a week working on a, on a business to try to see if it's going to work? Well, that's up to you, but you might decide, you know, that's not really in my value system. I don't want to do that. And that's fine. But, but you have to just recognize when you're looking at other people's end results that you probably aren't looking at what it takes to get that. And then you ask yourself, do I really want to, to get there myself? Do I want to put in all of that effort too? And the answer nine times out of 10 is no. Otherwise you'd probably be doing it. Right. Taking a little, and also too, like just because someone's fit and wealthy, like, look, I've been living in Hollywood for a long time. I'm telling you right now, um, that that's definitely not a determining factor. And we certainly know that, right? Or, or celebrities with mansions wouldn't have, you know, become drug addicts and kill themselves or right? like all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's so important is, yeah, that person may have the fit body or they may have this house, but that doesn't mean they're not an asshole to people. That doesn't mean they have good relationships. That doesn't mean they even are happy. That's the thing. We make up stories about other people because we think, oh, if I could just be thinner, if I lost 10 pounds, then I'd be happy. And studies will show we do this stuff all the time. And so we attribute certain things to other people that, oh, because they live in that house, they're happier than I am. But research will show even if you got that house, your happiness isn't necessarily going to skyrocket or people aren't going to, to treat you as different as you think they are. And so I think sometimes just taking better control over that story that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about other people can make a big difference. And, you know, I think what a point that kind of presses this in, an, in a broad stroke is the statistics behind lottery winners. They all blow it. They all blow it. Right. They all F right. it up. And, you know, why is that? It's because they never changed this story they have about money, right? Whether they feel guilty once they have it or they're feeling guilty, they got to give it away to people. They all lose it somehow because they've got a story about it, you know, about money somewhere that probably needed to get cleaned up in order for them to keep it. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And so I can't tell you how many people land in my therapy office because they finally got what they wanted, but it didn't have the results that they thought it was going to, whether it's that they lost the weight or they got the body or they you know, landed the job that they thought would, was the key to happiness. And then they come in because they say, I'm not as happy as I thought I should be. And, and they're really surprised and they think there's something wrong with them, but they put all of these expectations on how much better their life was going to be once they achieved X, Y, or Z. And then they found out that that really isn't the secret to happiness after all. Yeah. This next one is really personal to me and I'm, and I love it. And, uh, you know, talk about it in my book where the last piece for me to become confident as F 
was dealing with a vulnerable issue, an issue around shame, but that was tied in with the inability to be vulnerable about that. And a lot of alpha females and a lot of strong people um, might have this quality at first. Um, It's this like pitfall, right, of alphas in general of it's it appears as a weakness we never want to appear weak and so we think vulnerability and emotion is weak so wrong but that's what we think and i had to change my perspective on that in order to have good because you can't have a really great you and i can't have a close friendship if you're the only one opening up about how you're feeling about things right you know and i'm over here right, right? you know just crying alone in my apartment but not calling out to my best friend talking about it and things like that so um this one's really interesting because this this thing, this 13th thing, is they don't see vulnerability as a weakness. And I love this is because I argue in my book that confident as F people are okay with vulnerability because that is the ultimate not giving a shit about what people think about you. Yes. I love the way that you just summarize that because so often people will be like, I can't ever let them see me sweat. If they you know see any kind of vulnerability in me, then people are just going to take advantage of me. So they put up this really hard shell and try to act like, like nothing's wrong. Or when somebody has a problem rather than saying, yeah, I can relate to that. They're all, here's the solution. And we hand out advice and we try to hide the fact that we struggle with everyday things. And, you know, it's so interesting as a therapist, I was seeing it in my office, people come in with the same problems all day long, but they assumed they were the only ones dealing with that problem or two. <laughs> and they had no idea that, you know, so many people are struggling with the same exact feelings of insecurities, the same exact struggles, because nobody ever talks about them. And, you know, I think that it just really gets in the way of forming close friendships. It's hard for us to feel good about ourselves when we're always playing defense rather than just saying, hey, here's a problem. And to know that asking for help, reaching out to other people, that definitely takes way more strength than it does to just try to mask all your insecurity and cover them up. Yeah. And that's that, that other pitfall is like um, of alphas and in general, or confident people that haven't gotten there fully yet is this like not wanting to really control. We're bad delegators, right? We're just like, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll just do it. Right. You know, <laughs> it's just because you don't want to ask for help. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's really what it comes down to. Right. And so it it just, it seems like, oh, if I can't do everything, then somehow I'm flawed. There's something wrong with me. So therefore I'll just put myself out there. I'll do everything and I'll take on way more burdens than I need to. And then, you know, I can't open up. I can't show anybody what I'm struggling with because then somehow they'll capitalize on that or they'll think of me as being weak. And if I show any signs of weakness, then life will be ruined. Whatever it is, the stories that we tell ourselves around vulnerability and that takes a serious toll. It's hard to be like that all the time. And that's not strength. That's just about acting tough. And when you feel like you have to act tough all the time, it's exhausting. It is totally exhausting. Um, I'd love to share a few of the sort of things, you, you these points where you're like, hey, if you might view vulnerability as a weakness, if, and I, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a couple of these. Sure. One is, um, huh, this is a good one. I fear loving someone more than they love me. Maybe we'll talk about a couple of these. I avoid my, uh, putting myself in situations where I may fail or be rejected. And this one is really, this is a good one. I prefer to keep conversations superficial and I don't like to talk about myself or my past, even with people I know well. Those are just a few right there. Um, also, you know, things like I think if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. 
Um, there's certain parts of my life I think I need to keep hidden from everyone. That was totally me about my disability and the shame I had about it. Because again, I thought it was a weakness and people would go, she's damaged, or they would see me as being weaker because I had a disability. You know what I mean? I mean, I definitely mm-hmm. struggled with all this stuff. These are really great things to ask yourself. There's way, there's way more in your book. I just wanted to point a couple of those out. And if any stood out to you to elaborate on, go for it. Yeah. You know, I think, say, the one about the relationships. Mm -hmm. We've probably all had that relationship, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship, where the other person liked us a lot more. And maybe they didn't catch on that we weren't all that into them. And maybe it's a friend that calls you three times a day. Or maybe you were in a romantic relationship where somebody came across as needy. And that becomes our fear as being that person. So, So then we go to the opposite extreme and we think, I'll just pretend like I don't like you that much just in case, or I'll pretend like I don't really need anything from you because if I come across that way, you might not like me anymore. And it's this insecurity of just wanting to be liked, but at the same time, not daring to open up ourselves enough to, to really let somebody see the real us. Mm, So much good stuff in your book. Um, also let's get on to this, unless there's anything more about say about that. I mean, I think, um, that sums it up really well. I think, my relationships are so much better. And I have been able to have closer relationships with new people where I didn't before because I wasn't vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it's such a better life. Damn it. That's just it, you know, and to know, okay, it doesn't have to be that uh, I'll be okay all the or that everything's going to turn out okay. It's that I can be okay, even if things don't turn out okay. So knowing if I approach this person, if I do love somebody more than they love me, I can handle it. And it's scary because it means you might get hurt sometimes. But on the other hand, it means you open yourself up to lots of new friendships, relationships and opportunities. This other thing that 13, uh, one of the 13 things uh, strong women, mentally strong women don't do is they don't let others limit their potential. That one, you know, can be tough whether you had your third grade teacher who said you're just not good at math Mm -hmm. and that always stuck in the back of your head of okay I guess I'm just not gonna ever be somebody who's good at this or you know you had a boss that said this you really weren't cut out for this kind of a career it's hard to not take that to to heart and to not believe it and so often those little things that we pick up along the way we just hold it truth about ourselves and then we never break free from it I see it too that um, this, this this one kills me because, well, this is what I this is what I call and categorize like you know the people that are downers or people that are just pro- they're gonna project a lack of confidence onto you about a thing like oh I'm thinking about starting a podcast you well you've never like spoken publicly before comments like that right and yes what and I'd love to hear what you have to say about the following which is one of the things I share with people is like at some point you have to stop. Steve Harvey quote, sharing your million dollar ideas with hundred dollar people, right? Like if, if your sister Mary keeps poo-pooing and is a downer on all of your exciting plans and new creative ideas, you might need to stop sharing those with her, right? Um, before you can muster up the strength to be in a place where you're not going to take that to heart, right? Um, what are some other ways people cannot let those? The other thing too is you're allowing someone else's projection and thought of you to affect how you feel about yourself. What the F is that? That's totally insane if we think about it. Right. And it often goes back to the stories we tell ourselves. So if somebody breaks up with us, so often it becomes it's because I wasn't good enough. Well, no, it might just mean that that person 
had some issues or it might mean that you weren't right for each other, but it doesn't mean that you're broken, that you're unlovable, or if there's anything wrong with you. But so often these are, the, or you get fired from a job. We think, oh, it's because I'm a bad person. And so it's just really important to look at the stories that we tell ourselves based on other people's behavior. And I think more important than anything, there's a study that stands out, stood out to me anyway, when I was writing the book about how other people's criticism is more often a reflection of how they feel about themselves than it is how they feel about you. And the researchers kept asking people the same questions over the years, like, how do you feel about your roommates? How do you feel about the other people around you? What they found was for certain people, no matter where they lived or who they lived with, their description of other people remained the same. And so then when they looked back at sort of how people felt about themselves, it was because those people are actually describing themselves. So when they talk about how other people are annoying, how other people are stupid, well, it's because they actually weren't happy with themselves. It had nothing to do with who they were surrounded by. And so, so often we take other people's criticism to heart. If it's about us, more times than not, you're describing how they actually feel about themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I have an example in my book where this happened with a really close friend of mine. We we don't get into fights. We've been friends since high school. Um, but we also tell each other like it is, you know, and everyone accepts it. You know, if there's something you'd be like, hey, man, you know, like, it's totally cool. Uh, but as I was writing my first book, um, my friend had called me almost like in a panic as if like, uh, their kid had a paper due the next day and it was like midnight and they were like, Hey dude, what are you doing? Are you writing the book? How far are you? What do you do? Are you writing? What do you like, like that, like very skeptical, right? Projecting kind of a lack of confidence with that kind of tone. I mean, it was like, you know, very parental. And I said, Hey man, just cause you've never written anything. Don't project that lack of confidence onto me. Mm-hmm. That's you. Yep. <laughs> that's you. You I I've written things. I've finished what I started. That's that's you've known me for 30 years, don't you? Just because you can't imagine yourself writing a book and you can't imagine being focused like that, don't project that shit onto me. And he was like, "Oh, sorry dude. You're right. My bad." You know, I mean, it just it was over. And that's again why I say I think it's nice to have confident as our friends because you can do a mic drop like that and it's over in a second and everyone gets it and it's done. Um and I'm glad I said something because, again, you don't want that lingering resentment. But that was a, a situation where it wasn't necessarily direct critique, right? But it was this right. kind of like downery projection or like, you know, uh, not believing that I could do it kind of vibe. And again, that, that's, that was because of him. It's because of, he can't imagine that for himself. Right. And I think it's so important to be aware of who we're surrounding ourselves with. Do you have cheerleaders who are supporting you, people that are celebrating, people that are like, oh, yeah, you can do that. Or do you have some people in your life like that? And to just be aware of, OK, I got 10 percent of my my group who are kind of the naysayers, but I got 90 percent percent who are going to cheer me on. That's a great ratio because the naysayers sometimes point out the stuff we wouldn't normally see the potential problems but we need the cheerleaders who are all, oh, I'm going to support you the whole way. You can totally do that. Or people who are like, I'm so impressed with you, who can really recognize it, who challenge you to do better, who really inspire you. It's so important to have that group of people that, that you can recognize, okay, these are people who are really in my corner. What are, what are some of those things? You, uh, I have them right in front of me, uh, but I'd love you to mention some offhand if you can about ways that we can, what do we need to think about and ask ourselves if we might be suspect that we are a person who's letting other people limit our potential? You know, I think just asking yourself, is this person uh, trying to make themselves feel better or are they trying to make me feel better? Or because so often when somebody says, you know, gosh, this isn't going to work out, it's because it relieves their anxiety or it's because it somehow helps them feel a little bit better about who they are because they haven't achieved it. 
But then we have other people who are all, oh, you totally got this. And they're just genuine supporters. And just to recognize the difference, I think, is huge. Let's talk about the, this other thing. So mentally strong women, they don't downplay their success. I love mm. this one. I've got to get into it. This one, you know, I think for women to recognize how often we do this, and it's not to say that men are right and women are wrong, but when we look at LinkedIn, for example, a man and a woman who have fairly similar experience, similar education, similar um, career path, when they describe themselves on LinkedIn, men tend to go to one end of the spectrum where they brag, sort of, you know, the fact that they won an award, you'd think that they had just won the MVP in the big game or something. And maybe it was a really small award. Whereas a woman might not even mention that she got that award or tends to minimize it. And then when you look at, okay, well then how does that affect people's careers? Men get many more responses on LinkedIn. They get many more job invitations. They get reached out to more often by recruiters. And so it's affecting our careers. Do you think that's a subconscious thing lingering from the back of like women are meant to be seen, not heard or something like why, why are women having this damn issue with that? You know, I think it has a lot to do with just the subtle ways that we're raised. When I talk a little bit about, you know, what we do to little girls and little boys, when they're five years old and you ask little girls and little boys point to somebody who's brilliant, all the little girls point to a woman and all the little boys point to a man. And then when at age seven, we ask them the same question, point to somebody who's brilliant, all the little girls and all the little boys point to a man. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, what happens between the age of five and seven? They go to school. <laughs> And who are, who are we learning about in school? The presidents, the scientists, the, um, all the political figures. Well, they're all men, right? Historically. So then suddenly that gives girls this subtle idea that boys are probably a little bit better than girls. And I think it's those little subtle things, you know, just from the way that our parents raise us slightly different, the way that our teachers interact with us a little bit different, makes a big difference in how we present ourselves to the world. And I think we're seeing that in adulthood when they talk about Hey, tell me about your achievements. Women are more likely to minimize themselves and men are more likely to brag about themselves. You know, this is a, uh, I love this topic because I, a lot of people who might not be extroverts, uh, who still could be confident, they, they get a little bit like, uh, when you talk about the subject confidence, because they think it's like some outward thing, you know what I mean? And they think it's a braggy thing. And well, we know the people who are truly bragging, like that's just insecurity, right? If you have to tell people, all the time who you are, you know, right. uh, that's, that does, that's not, that's not confidence, but this really kills it right here on this. Uh, when you, you ask like, Hey, do you have trouble owning your success? And this one tenant here of, I downplay my accomplishments, intelligence, or status sometimes because I don't want other people to feel bad. Ooh, I really want to get into this because this is like, I always say, if you have friends and after talking to them, or you call them excited about something and they're you know, reacting or makes them feel bad. Like you can't let people dim your light. And that's a real good example of someone who might be jealous of you and, and not to maybe to reevaluate that kind of friendship because you do want people that are on your side and encouraging and for you. And if you have to dim your light for someone else, F that. That's just it. And I think so many women take responsibility for how other people feel, not to stereotype women, but studies will show that women tend to be people pleasers and that we tend to take on a lot of that extra emotion. And we think, well, if I tell somebody I got a promotion, if I tell somebody I'm killing it in business, maybe they're going to feel bad about themselves. So I'll just pretend like this isn't a big deal in my life. 
but then you sell yourself short, but you also prevent other people from enjoying your success. They're not able to be inspired by you. And if you're always playing it small, it takes a big toll on how you feel about yourself, how you think, how you project yourself to the world. And, you know, a really good example of this is just how women tend to respond to compliments. When yes. somebody says, gosh, you know, I love your shoes. We have trouble even saying thank you about that. They're not even complimenting who we are or what we did. They're just complimenting something that we have on. We're more likely to say something like, oh, these old things, I got them for $10. Or we say, no, I love your shoes because we feel like, ah, I don't want you to feel bad that I have great shoes and you don't. So I'm going to compliment you back. (laughs) Or we give the credit to somebody else like, oh, my my mother picked these out for me. We don't even want to take credit for it. And just because we think, oh, saying thank you for something I did somehow makes me sound like a jerk. It's like saying, yeah, I know I'm awesome. So we don't do it. And I just think it's so important to just take a look at what do you do when somebody compliments you? When somebody says you did a great job in that meeting today, just say thank you and don't say anything else. And it's going to feel really uncomfortable if you're not used to that, but it gives them an opportunity to appreciate you. But then it can shift how you feel about yourself. After a while, you feel like, okay, maybe I am better than I give myself credit for sometimes. I, I used to have this problem and I talked about it a lot about being able to accept compliments and, and you know, this deflection. And the way that I look at it too is, aren't you just really shitting on the person that just, you know, that's like, it's, it's kind of right. a shitty thing to do if you really think about it, because we've been on the other side of it, right? When I'm, if I'm giving you a compliment, you're like, oh no, I'm not, I mean, thanks. I, I, you know, I'm having a good hair day. That's all. Or whatever. And I tell you, look pretty, you're kind of telling me that I'm wrong right? You're kind of saying, no, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about, no matter what the compliment is. And so I'd like to look at it that perspective too, because like, that's another side you should think about as well. Like honor that someone took the time to do that. So I had to get okay with that as well. And it took me a long time. I was the biggest compliment deflector ever. I mean, like I would go on to a whole story about something, you know, I just couldn't really accept them. Um, And so I think that that's an important thing to do. And it, it is uncomfortable at first, just be like, thank you, you know, but it's just, it's, it's honoring right. the person a, who's, who's, who's offering the nice words. And I think that's a really wise way to look at it because we tend to like, like you say, it's almost insulting to the other person. Like I don't, I value your opinion so little that I'm going to argue with you and, and say that this isn't actually important or that you, what you're seeing isn't, isn't actually what you're seeing. Like, no, I'm not actually good at all. And you know, all out of our fear of somehow sounding arrogant. But in reality, I think that sounds more arrogant when we sort of become argumentative about how we are. But a lot of it has to do with how we feel about ourselves. If you think you are a terrible communicator and somebody says, wow, you did a great job conveying that message in the meeting today, that feels uncomfortable because either the way you look at yourself isn't the same as that person looks at you. So that means either you're wrong or they're wrong. And we'd rather think that the other person is wrong rather than sort of unbelieve things that we believe about ourselves because that's tough to do. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that is. Um, I am, listen, I'm a, such a big fan. Of, I, I really wish everyone listening, you have, mm, let's talk about humility because this is such a f- fake false ass kind of thing in a lot of ways. I think people interpret it differently or they've been raised to talk like, well, don't sit, you know, don't brag about yourself, right? Don't, don't talk to you. Don't down, you know, downplay your accomplishments or don't, don't upplay them. 
I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, you're not going to get anywhere in this world. And you and I both know people like to hire confident freaking people. <laughs> like you just have to be right. like, then what's your answer then in the interview when they're like, what are your, what are your positive qualities? <laughs> like you're going to have to say some shit, man. No one's going to hire you. You're going to have to talk highly about yourself. And that shouldn't just be relegated to that interview room. And it's not to say that, you know, like, again, if every day you felt the need like to, to brag to people about stuff, that's different. Bragging is so much different than highlighting your accomplishments for the purposes of sales, convincing, right? You and I are in sales. You have, you have to pitch to be a speaker somewhere. I have to do the same. You know, we're all doing this kind of stuff. You have to be able to say, this is what I'm really good at. And I, I want people to get really comfortable with that and start to create that story and that elevator pitch of like what they're really good at for whatever it is that they're pursuing. Yes. And I think for people, when they need a place to start, sometimes it's just highlighting the facts. So you might say, I doubled sales at my company last year. That's different than walking around saying I'm the greatest salesperson in the entire universe. And so sometimes just saying, okay, I'll stick to the facts or, hey, I was able to to get 15 speaking engagements last year. You don't have to say I'm the best speaker in the whole universe, but if you just tell people the facts, sometimes that makes a big difference. And then over time, you get a little more comfortable with saying, yeah, I'm actually good at this. Because it takes your brain a while to sort of catch up to where you are. And so maybe you're, you're crushing it, but for the first couple of years, it's hard to see that. It's hard to feel that about yourself. I did it as I became an author. For a long time, I just said, oh, I'm a therapist who wrote a book. <laughs> you you can my, accept your own compliment. Yeah. <laughs> right. For my brain to be all, actually, now you're an author. Like, you know, by the time I wrote the third book, it kind of sunk in of, hey, actually, you're an author who used to be a therapist. <laughs> and, but, it, you know, it takes a while for our brains to really catch up to where we are in life. And so I think until then, you just have to be careful of the message that you're projecting. Yeah. Um, this is really interesting. I'm looking at uh, this list here in your book. Uh, okay. So, uh, all right. Let's talk about th- a little bit about, hmm, there's so many good juicy topics. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> By the way, this book is really in depth. So that's why I'm, I'm having trouble. I'm like, where am I going to, okay. Aside, we went to limiting potential. Okay. So people, successful people, mentally strong people do encourage others. Let's talk about this whole, they don't put others down to lift themselves up. That is something everybody has to stop doing. Right. And it's, it's one of those things that for some people, it just kind of becomes natural. I mean, we've all been there where you're, you're at the table and somebody gets up to use the restroom and suddenly other people start talking about, can you believe she wore that dress? Or I can't believe she's pretending like she's doing well. Here's what the real story is. And we start talking about people in a really negative way. And so I think it just goes back to who are your people recognizing who are the people you're surrounding yourself with. Cause don't for a minute think if they do that to other people, that they aren't doing the same thing when you get up for a minute. Bingo. They are. They are. You're and, not, <laughs> you're not excluded from that. I've, I've been the victim of that like 30 years ago. <laughs> right. And you want to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who can lift you up. And, but you know, research on that will show that as women, sometimes we get so competitive and we think, there's only so much room at the top and, and that if somebody else is climbing the ladder faster than we are, they're going to take our space. So I better tear them down. It's sort of like the feels like the fastest way to elevate yourself is just by tearing everybody else down. But when you do that, nobody wins in the end, including you. Nobody makes themselves look better by tearing other people down. But 
Um, I think it backfires so, vibrationally because it's such a lack feeling of lack of abundance and it's a competitive right. mindset, right? So it leads into competing, which I feel you always lose when you do that because again, it's about your worth being related to someone else's failure or loss. Or again, this like, well, oh my God, but Amy, she might get there or like she's starting a podcast. Oh my God, it might be, she might get more downloads than me. Or like that whole thing is a lack mindset that I feel backfires and fails on me in turn. In, in, in that scenario, you would end up in my vi- vibrational world. You're going to end up being more successful because that's not your mindset. But if I'm over here competing against you, you end up usually being the winner. That's how that kind of dynamic, I see that roll out a lot. Absolutely. And, and we have that mindset of if somebody else has what we want, somehow it takes it away from me. And, and that's not the case. I mean, if you can just work with people, if you cooperate with them rather than compete with them, celebrate alongside them, help each other, amazing things happen. And, you know, as I've gone from being a therapist to a, an author and a speaker, I just try to surround myself with people who, who are generous, who are willing to work with me and who cheer me on, who help me. And I try to do the same for them. I'll tell you what I know. I'll tell you what I've learned. I'll help you uh, figure things out if, if you welcome that input from me. And I find that that is just, you know, emotionally, I feel so much better when I'm surrounded by people like that. But also it helps me in so many practical ways. And it helps uh, It helps your success. I mean, successful right. people help other people be successful. Right. I can't tell you how many times somebody says to me, hey, can you recommend a speaker for next year? Well, I've got a Rolodex of people that I recommend, and I know that they do the same for me. Well, that's way better than me saying, nope, I don't know anybody. Nope, I'm the best. Me. Yeah, there are. <laughs> right. In fact, actually, I, I tell this story where, so in the um, as an actor in Hollywood, it, it can be very competitive, right? You know, like you might not want to like tell a friend about an audition or bring something up because you're, you know, all those dynamics. And I remember years ago, I went out for, I was I did sketch comedy. I would go out for things like, you know, Mad, um, Mad TV. Was it Mad TV? Yeah. No, Frank TV and um, some other ones that were like sketch comedy shows. And I knew a bunch of other great women. And so when I got this audition, the first thought that popped in my head was like, oh my gosh, Melissa would be great. I wonder if her agent got her out for this. And then my next thought was, uh, but she's good. I don't want to be in competition with her. And then my next thought was, now that you just had that thought, fuck you. You have to call her and tell her because now we're, now we're edging into competing and hiding something from someone because you're afraid that they might take it over you. And the, the truth is, is that I want her and everyone else to succeed. It was just a momentary ego thought. And I did. I ended up calling her and saying, hey, have your agent get you in for this audition because the other vibration, right, is such a lack and it's almost a losing one. Right. And then you think, well, if I only won this because I didn't tell anybody about it. Well, it's not going to feel nearly as good as if you got it fair and square. And if you said I was generous, I helped somebody with something. Yeah, it stinks sometimes if we help somebody and then they start doing better than we do. But on the other hand, to know that we help them get there, there's something that feels really good about that at the end, the end of the day. And I think that this needs to happen more and more with women, right? Like I talk about in my book, and I know you feel the same way too. We have, women have to be more pro-women. You have to just get more pro-women. You can't be hanging out, can't be having these Beverly Housewives, uh, contentious, catfighty bullshit things with women. And if you do, those are not the women that are in your corner. They're the competitive, jealous ones. Those are the ones that are not in your favor. And um, you need to meet women like Amy and I and other people who are the encouraging ones who want to lift you up. And you know, it's so funny, Amy, when I think about this, you know, the, isn't it weird how like 
you, you know, there's people that like that, oh, I don't want Amy to become like, I'm afraid, you know, you're my best friend. I don't want her to become successful because oh, I'm jealous or all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but do you want to hang out with a bunch of losers that are always failing at shit or do you want to right, right? Like, I mean, right. if you think about the end result of that, that means like everyone around you never, never achieves anything because you're, you know, afraid of whatever. And therefore, I mean, wouldn't you want to bring someone to greater heights and be surrounded by people that are, that are moving to new levels? And yes, and I think that's a really valuable point. And there's studies on that, that we often surround ourselves with people that sort of reinforce how we feel about ourselves. So for example, somebody with really low self-esteem often surrounds themselves with people who are kind of mean, nitpicky, people that might say things that are inappropriate and reinforce to them that, yeah, I should feel bad about myself. It's the strangest thing. You think you'd want to surround yourself with people that help you feel better, but so often we don't do that. And so I think when people say, gosh, I'm surrounded by people that are really mean to me, well, it's probably because you're mean to yourself. Otherwise, you'd say, I deserve better and surround yourself with people who are who are much more inspirational and uplifting. Absolutely. That's really something to look at. And and the way I determine is it's so easy to determine. It's like, how do you feel after you hang out with a friend or have a conversation? How are you feeling? Right. Take a look right. at it. That's going to tell you everything you need to know about that relationship. <laughs> yes, definitely. So in kind of uh, closing up here towards the end, um, throughout all your research, throughout your work as a, as a therapist, I, I love that you dropped some, what are some other interesting studies or some of the most fascinating things or principles or, you know, a story you've heard or a personal story of coaching, you know, something that you're like, oh, these are some of my favorite, you know, tidbits. I guess one of my favorite tidbits, and it's really simple to do, but it's important to look at is when you enter a situation, are you playing to win or are you just trying to avoid losing? Mm. And so when we looked at, you know, athletes and people that are crushing it in life, the people that are really successful, they had a different mindset. You know, like Tom Brady doesn't step out onto the football field thinking, oh, hope I don't embarrass myself today, right? He's thinking I'm going to win this. Well, for us to do the same, when we walk into a situation, if you think, okay, I got to get up and give this presentation in front of this group of people, I just hope I don't embarrass myself you're just playing defense and it's much different than if you play offense. If you tell yourself, I'm going to walk into this, I'm going to do my very best and I'm hoping to crush it much different studies will show that you perform different. And that's not about being overconfident or arrogant and saying, everybody's going to love me no matter what, but it's about telling yourself I can do this versus I hope I just don't mess up and make it horrible. Just that little flip in your mindset can make a huge difference in how you perform in life. I love that. I want to highlight that because I give an example of where, even though I am confident as F with public speaking and all that stuff, there was a, there's a moment, uh, I've had a couple of moments before a speech, let's say, and I think everyone goes through this. You might have had moments of this where you have a moment where you're like, oh shit, who do I think I am? <laughs> like, or, you know, what I mean? yep. like it's just a quick moment. And, and then right in that moment, I turned it around immediately. I'm like, who the hell are you? You wanted this. You signed up for this. You're going to go out there and freaking kill it. Totally changed my energy. If I had flowed in the other way, I would have been nervous. I might've got up there shaking. I might've lost my, instead I was like, no, you're going to go dominate and fucking rock this audience. Like that's positive self-affirmation. And I did, I killed it. But again, you know, of course I'm tuned to switch that feeling, but I'm still not immune to it maybe right? It's the, it's what I do Absolutely. with that. And I think that that's so important is to go into these situations, the moment, or again, like an audition, like, Oh God, I don't even know. And then you're like, hold on a minute. <laughs> like I'm, I've been doing this my whole life. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go in there and kill it. It's that self-positive talk. No one needs to hear it. It's just to you, to you, but God, what a different vibration when you walk into that room or that meeting, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I still have those moments where I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. 
And then I get a grip and I say, you know, Amy, <laughs> you made it through a lot in life. If you can go through being widowed and losing your mom, like you can stand up in front of a hundred people and give a speech. It's not that big of a deal. And it's like, once I make that switch, okay, I've got this. Then I feel different. I can know I can perform a lot better, but just that reminder. And another quick tidbit is call yourself by name. <laughs> when you say, you know, Amy, you've got this versus, okay, I can do this. Makes Ooh. a big switch in how we in how we perform. Call yourself by the use the third person when you refer to yourself in your self talk. Really, when you're giving yourself a pep talk. Love it. Yeah, makes a huge difference in in how you feel. So those are two really quick tips. Play to win and and refer to yourself in the third person, and you'll crush it. I would love to hear if you have any offhand that you can think about. Um, you know, I always love to hear about some 180 scenarios, right? Of the person who's got the least amount of self-esteem or, you know, mm -hmm. it was like all of the, like did all of the things you shouldn't do, the 13 things. And then they, you know, did a turnaround. I'd love to hear about other, someone who's read your work and, and benefited from it or someone you've coached. If you have any stories there of a, a 180 in terms of how this person approached life, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, you know, it's definitely tons of them. I guess this uh, one woman I worked with who, she just had this belief that she was inherently flawed. She wasn't good enough that, you know, she just, for whatever reason, she was different than everybody else. What she didn't know was she was struggling with the exact same things that so many people are. And she first read my book and she said, all right, I felt like you were speaking personally to me. And she called me up and wanted just a handful of coaching sessions to say, how do we make these changes. And the biggest thing we did was change her behavior first. She was waiting until she felt stronger in order to get out there and tackle life. And she spent all of her time playing defense. I'm going to avoid everything I can because I don't want to, I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel sad. I don't want to feel upset about things. Well, she was playing it so small because she was trying to avoid anxiety and any kind of discomfort that she was developing depression. And, and then just kind of waiting to feel better. Once we started making these shifts, I tell you what, she went back to school. She's working on getting a job. She's doing all of these things. She's surrounding herself with much more positive people. And there's like a visible shift in like her appearance, how she looks. So she can hold her head up higher. And she's somebody now who can say, yeah, I'm mentally strong. And she's just somebody who just never thought she'd be able to do anything like that. And just the visible shift in just how she carries herself is incredible. And how she presents herself to the world, how she's able to interact with people. Talk about a 180. It's just amazing to see. I love that. I love that so much. Tell us also, too, how we can work with you. I mean, we've we've got your three books. We'll put everything in the show notes to connect with you. But if we want, like, one-on-one -on -one coaching or help from you personally, I know you do have a course on your website. Can you tell us how we can get more connected and learn from you other than your books? Sure. So my website is the best way, amymorinlcsw.com. And on my website, I've got my uh, TEDx talk. I've got some other articles, some information, and I soon to be podcast will be launched. Um, oh, hey, congratulations. People. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um, that'll be coming out hopefully quite soon. Excellent. Well, we will put everything in the show notes. Are there any lasting thoughts or final thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with this topic? If someone's out there and they're not feeling mentally strong, why they need to work to do the work to get there? You know, I think just to remember you're stronger than you think. Your brain will tell you you can't do stuff. It'll underestimate you. You can do a lot more than you think you can. And just building mental strength can help you reach your greatest potential. No matter what you think about yourself right now, I guarantee you're capable of, of doing more. You just have to figure out how do you unlock that potential. And building mental muscle is the key to doing that. So awesome. Amy, I'm so glad you have learned about you and met you and then read your book and be able to share you with our audience. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners. Did you know that Primal Kitchen Collagen Peptides help support hair, skin, and nails? 
Well, we offer a variety of collagen products to suit everyone's palate, from unflavored to mango pineapple or golden turmeric to our keto matcha or chai tea collagen latte mixes and more. Visit us at primalkitchen.com and start fueling your day with collagen peptides. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.